I'm Suzanne Murdoch and you're listening to Power and Productivity. Each episode, I explore the energy that connection, expertise and flexible working can bring to your business. Welcome, I'm your host, Suzanne Murdoch. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ema Flanagan, founder of Aware We Walk, set up back in 2013. Ema's passionate about helping visitors to Ireland to create magical, authentic experiences hiking in the Irish landscape. She's based in Belfast and specialises in the Causeway Coast and glens in Ireland's northeast. Born and bred in Northern Ireland, having lived and travelled around the world, in her experience, the grass really is greener back here in Ireland. Ema is a qualified tour guide with a degree in Irish history and politics. She's conducted thousands of tours and loves telling the story of Ireland to her visitors. So Ema, welcome. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Ema, give me a quick overview of your story to date and how you've navigated your way through these lockdowns. Oh, goodness me. Well, I hope we're at the end of it, Suzanne. But so do I. Um, you know, it's uh, it's incredible, really. You know, I think if any of us had a scene at the start, what, you know, how long this was going to go on for, um, that, uh, yeah, was definitely, a, you know, it was just the shock of it. It was a sudden witness of which what had closed down. So, yes, yeah, so away we walk, launched in 2013, uh, slowly built. So it was, um, I was part-time with it. I was a guide on city sightseeing buses. That's what gets a lot of those numbers on my thousands of tours. Um, I was doing Airbnb before anyone knew what Airbnb was. I was the 18th bedroom in on Belfast on the Airbnb website back in, was, I think it was August 2013. And literally everybody I spoke to about doing Airbnb, I had to explain what Airbnb was. That's how I knew that was. So that supplemented my income. Anyway, I got the thing going, built some partnerships, which we can talk about. And I had thousands of customers then, um, primarily on my main product um, in 2019. And then, of course, the bus crashed in uh, March. I call it the bus crash. The COVID yeah, bus that's a good way of putting it. It just felt that sudden. I also have an inkling that when it opens, when, it, when we're properly able to travel on a global stage, that it will start up as quickly as it stopped. Um, and this kind of building it up over two to three years, which could happen. But we've never done this before. You know, demand only collapsed because we weren't allowed to travel. So anyway, yeah, it has been... On a positive note, I've spent the time really enhancing my repertoire of walk. So I've tried to get out um, into the hills as much as possible, into our landscapes. And I also really committed to social media. I thought whatever this virus was doing, it was not taking my business. Oh, you've really embraced that, I have to say. I just, I'm so, you know, I kind of said at the anniversary, I was doing, I made that commitment to save my business, but the commitment to do it ultimately in the end saved me and I mean that like it the people who follow me you know there's just that you know there's no way I could quit now there's just no way it'll take a very different form when I'm back to normal trading um, and I probably have to forewarn my customers that I do a lot of social media and are they okay to be on camera because the idea of me not including them you know because I include everything in um, Instagram stories especially so yes it ended up being a very positive thing and has kept slowly kept me sane, but it, it's been tough. It's yeah, been, yeah, no, it has for tough. a lot of us. So I'm really excited to talk about your love affair and partnership with the National Trust, but also down down to business, I guess, and getting an understanding of how you kind of carve out the time and the energy and the focus to really look at the nitty gritty side of business and the strategy side. And I know that for a lot of creative outdoorsy people like yourself, it's hard 
when you have to be more office focused and, and the nitty gritty of the work. So looking forward to talking about your secrets there. So let's dive in. That's all right with you. As I said, we have a common love for the National Trust and walking in nature. So Ema, set the scene for me. How does this relationship grow and, and impact on your business like it has done? So, well, it's a terrific one and it came about so organically. And yes, that, you know, let's just talk about the National Trust first off. Like I host visitors from around the world and there are very few other countries that have a, a National Trust or its equivalent. Most countries, it's some kind of state body that looks after heritage sites. And the difference is night and day. And that's generally the feedback from, um, you know, from people from other countries when, when they see an experience. The focus that the National Trust can put in wholly to, um, to heritage and nature and um, access and all that sort of stuff. So anyhow, I... Um, Obviously, they had only started managing the full side of the National Trust after the, the new visitor centre opened. At that stage, the people were always managed by the council. So the National Trust have a relatively young relationship with, with the full experience of the Giants Causeway. And I think that was a very extremely positive one for tourism in general, for them to be able to manage. You know, the Giants Causeway, not everybody knows this, the Giants Causeway is the National Trust's busiest property by many, many, many hundreds of thousands of yeah, visitors. I didn't know that until you told me. Nobody knows it because most of the properties are in England. But if you think about it, Suzanne, there's hundreds of properties in England. There's not hundreds here. And they're not so much a tourism organization, especially in England. They're, uh, you know, they're a membership-based organization. There's something for families to do at the weekends. Um, and there's so many properties, so there's no one of them that gets like the, the, the National Trust pre-COVID was getting over a million visitors a year. So on an Ireland tourism uh, perspective, they've, um, you know, they've got the Guinness Storehouse, they've got the Cliffs of Moher, they've got Titanic Belfast. It's not other National Trust properties. So anyhow, so yes, yeah, so they and, you know, from that point of view, they should be the ones managing it. But I had started my product, which was bringing people in the Cosworth Cliffs, um, and nobody does that. So that's anybody familiar with the site. Most people go to the visitor center, go down to the stones. They maybe explore the site a little bit more, walk a little bit more. But the vast majority of people only really see what I call the end of the walk. Um, whereas the high cliffs that you can see when you're standing on the stones, I'd been bringing people in. I knew the scenery up there was spectacular. And I knew if you were only seeing the stones, you only seeing tiny bit of what's there in terms of wow factor so for two or three seasons I and my guide team had been bringing very small tours in the early years down to the stones and we would go up onto the stones not every tour guide does that but we'd already been with these people for two and a half hours so I got to know a lot of the staff and I ended up just through my tour guide training and my tour guide experience Colette McCafferty I don't know if you know her and Judith Boyle they were heavily involved in tour guide training here and when I was doing my courses, you know, they liked the idea of my own business um, and they often used me for the FAM training part where basically they bring in a tour guide, show the students, we go out for the day and do a tour, but the, the, the experience guide kind of showcases how to guide. Mm -hmm. And then as part of the course, all the student guides will have to kind of replicate what the, the tour guides do, which is good. And I did a day up on the coast it might have been organized by the council. I'm not entirely sure. It wasn't exclusively National Trust staff, but there were some National Trust staff on that that I knew and a few other people and some of their volunteers and all of that. 
And on my way home that night, I got a telephone call from one of the guys I knew at the trust and said, uh, would you come in and chat to us? And, we, you know, I just, he, I suppose, at that stage, that was the first time they saw me directly guiding. And they knew me anyway. And um, what I was delighted with was that they loved what I was doing. And they asked me if I would do it for them as well. And um, that was 2016. It was actually my first full-time year. So the timing of it was perfect. And prior to that, you could only really do the tour as a private booking or my big numbers was working in another partnership. Um, as part, so offering it as a Belfast day tour. So you take the, the you know, four or five at least companies that take people, visitors up from Belfast, up the Antrim Coast, Rookbridge, Giants Causeway. Yeah. They're all, you know, you do the big hitters, you see Carrick Fergus Castle, you see Don Lewis Castle, you go to the distillery, you go to the Stones. You know, it's a, it's a standard format. They do it different ways around, but that is it. And my partnership then with the Irish Tour Tickets, they are the only coach company from Belfast that offers the option of, now you miss the distillery on Dunluce because you're going for a two and a half hour, three, well, no, three and a half hour walk along the cliffs. So pr- the, the older product is actually the full day tour. Um, but because of my relationship now with the National Trust, for people who are driving around Ireland, that's a lot of tourists who are making their own way and they're not doing coach tours, that the National Trust option is you can start the walk in the visitor centre at noon. We pick you up and we take you out the cliffs. And I know certainly from the trust point of view, like they, I'd be one of their early relationships at the causeway of them working with a small operator. And they've now brought on a lot of what they call these signature experiences. So different ways you can do something with, there's one called Whiskey in the Rocks. So they have <laughs> a relationship with um, Bushmills Whiskey Distillery. But you do the tour at the causeway, but there's whiskey involved. <laughs> so <laughs> Whiskey afterwards. So rather than just having that standard option, Visitor Centre Stones for a million people, they now have this large offering of options. And I'm delighted to say I have the oldest and longest um, relationship with them on that. So, yeah. Amy, it's fantastic. We've we've touched on on partnerships, but you must meet some really interesting characters and um, connections all over the world. I know you've done a lot of different um, walking experiences. Do you partner with other tour operators and um, have joint alliances? And how important is that to you and your business? Yeah, it's crucial. And I suppose in the early years, I didn't so much, largely because I didn't know the travel trade well enough. I didn't have enough insider knowledge of how it works. And travel has changed dramatically, you think, the last 20 years. And ironically, like I can even see the changes now because my, my strongest relationships and relationship building with partners is through fellow operators who use Instagram the way I do. And when I say Instagram the way I do, that's talking to camera. I, I see it as my shop and the people who come into my shop are the people who view my account on Instagram every day. And the idea that people would come into your shop and that you wouldn't talk to them, you know, <laughs> people who can't, business owners who can't get their head around, oh, I can't talk to camera. You know, I was like, well, go back to the 1980s and imagine somebody coming into your shop and you ducking down behind your counter because you're embarrassed to show people your face and let them hear your voice. Like that's the psychology. If you get your head around that. And then to so these other um, tour suppliers and tour operators, especially North American, who also talk to camera every day, see it as a shop. So we're kind of having this conversation, even though we're just talking to camera. I know these, um, there's quite a few. I knew of them beforehand, but like I have so strengthened 
uh, my business relationship with people like that on Instagram. Yeah, just yeah. I think, I mean, I mean, from our perspective, alliances and partnerships, it's not just the marketing perspective, but your growth and expertise as well and the whole relationship side of it and the it's connection really side of it. Yeah, so the way the whole travel industry works, because no one can be expert in any in any single area. So, um, you know, be it a, the online travel agencies, you know, the likes of your Viators and your booking.com. For that, that's largely a one-off conversation. Sometimes at Meet the Buyer, sometimes not, you know, so sometimes at trade events. Now, they've all gone virtual over this last year. There's a big advantage to that. So you've got those connections being made. And then, you know, slowly either through trade events where tourism in Northern Ireland will create um, opportunities for you to meet buyers from around the world. Um, Tourism Ireland does a great job as well and they've offices around the world and you know they're they're fantastic at introducing you to people and what's good about that is you, you only need the introduction once and I suppose younger businesses or new businesses you think oh I'm going to get loads of business how travel works you're always even pre-COVID you're at least 18 months ahead so if you're meeting people at an event in March, the earliest you're talking business from them is the following season. You're not getting any business from them that year and to go in knowing that. And then the business you'll get the following season will just be an initial couple of bookings, one or two. But you'll eventually get 10 a year, 20 a year, 30 a year. That could be five years out. That's how travel works. And so like those ladies I'm talking about in, on Instagram, I knew one of them beforehand. She'd sent me a couple of tours, a handful of tours. We just started our relationship and then COVID has happened, but then we've all been on Instagram. Now they haven't been able to send me bookings because nobody's traveling, but I know when the gates open, I've won so much business just by being on Instagram with a future business because they now trust me. They know me. They laugh at my silly jokes. They know me as a person more. So, you know, to be able to, A, the relationship existed, but I've been able to strengthen it simply by showing up on social media. And yeah. that word might look to some people that I'm just playing on social media. It can sometimes come across as that. I know I, it's one of the reasons. So I go for a hike every week, no matter what. I, as much as I need the hike to clear my head and whether I've tours or not, I use all of that for my social media. I'm showcasing my product. And I know tour operators, um, one of the big things like a lot of North Americans will still have um, for Ireland is, you know, the whole Dublin, Killarney, Cork, Kerry is the big hitter where people go if they come to Ireland. And, uh, you know, our tourism authorities for youngs have been trying to say there's much more to the island. Don't try to do the whole thing in 10 days, but go north or go northwest. And they've told me they use my, my Instagram account to convince people to go north and um, that it's not just about selling me it's about selling the whole destination oh that's brilliant no I, I really think it's about showing up and doing a little bit every day yeah the consistent keeping your face in there key. yeah yeah 100 yeah. it is yeah I mean would it be fair to say that being outdoors with nature really really sparks your energy and when it comes to the behind the scenes stuff does that help with that and how do you keep your you know how do you keep yourself grounded and keep that productive mindset yeah, that, you know, it's a brilliant thing to say. Like this job has always been from day dot for me, a lifestyle business. And I, sometimes when you say that, people think, oh, it's a hobby. It's not a hobby. It's a serious business. And, you know, someone needs to do the bookkeeping and the finance and all the administrative stuff, the booking platforms, figuring out the SEO. That's all me. 
Um, because it, it, I have a team of guides. I have an intern, a great uh, marketing student pl- um, placement here at the moment. But that's the nature of small business and sole trader is that you do everything. And yes, I'm crystal clear on the parts of the job that I um, that I really, really enjoy. I've always been clear on that. My focus is on being happy. I absolutely want to make money and I do make money and I'm glad to make money. But my focus is not about making a lot. That, that's not my primary point. If I wasn't enjoying myself, I wouldn't be in this field. So that, that's my number one. I know my why. I'm crystal clear on it. And that means the parts of the job I love most. So it's being out in the hills. Now that is primar- primarily customer facing, doing tours, bringing people out in those landscapes. I know how I feel. I am selling that feeling to people from around the world. I bring them to the landscapes. I get to take the credit for what Mother Nature's done millions of years ago. Um, so that's that absolutely, I get my fire and I will never, no matter what happens with the company, I will never not guide and I will never not go into the landscapes. And I must be very cautious that I grow the company in the direction that I will always be the one who delivers tours yeah. <clears throat> or one of the people who delivers tours. I also thoroughly enjoy the marketing, obviously. And I really love product development um, and doing recce's and figuring out walking holidays and all sorts of stuff. So that, that's my three. That's the thing. Everything else, bookkeeping especially, I would <laughs> happily. And, you know, I was at the stage, certainly 2019, before the COVID bus crashed, um, I was definitely at the stage of needing at least virtual um, assistance of some degree for some of the administration. And that was coming on board. It obviously, nothing happened with that and nothing's happening with that at the moment. But... I will definitely outsource the stuff I I don't enjoy. Yeah, I I think that's a great way to go. And there's a number of small business owners doing that now. And I think this whole uh, bus crash, as you put it, has really shined a light on virtual assistants and and the different expertise that they can bring to a business. Yeah, and like what I find with virtual assistants is they love that stuff. They love it, they do. (laughs) They're making their own in it out of the stuff that people like me really don't enjoy and what's more than they're good at it um like one of the things that uh, you know i've discovered working with uh, the work placement student and this happens so much in so many uh, small businesses the tech side of marketing is where i hit my the bumps in the road so the stuff i want to do my website my website's just on wordpress but the guy who designed it hasn't just done a basic template and we can't figure out some of the stuff and I know what I want I know the end game I know what I want to update and how I want to look in the web but I don't have the technical skill to go from here's the raw material the text the pictures the videos and that happens all the time as I bump into I don't know how to do that and you don't have the time either and I don't have time and I'm gonna have to either figure it out or pay someone who knows and that's yeah that, that's but, be, what, but, but but another aspect I guess is you know what do you like you've said what you like doing what do you not like doing where's your value and what but that's what the value is where you can bring the money to the business and then outsource the rest and it's a mentality I was listening to another business po- podcast again local it was great I think I don't know it was an Omar expression you're selling tenors for fivers is it or whatever you know when you're doing work that you could fund someone else to do who has the skill and the expertise and you don't have the skill and the expertise and how short-sighted that is. It yeah. doesn't mean I always do. I think there's a lot of reluctance, especially at the moment when there's so little uh, funds coming in. It's very hard to justify spending, you know, 
spending externally yeah. at the moment and um, but that'll all come back and it will it will in fairness the business was really at that stage in 2019 definitely I was busy um administratively and busy out and about so Ema, when you are working at home in the office side of the things doing the bits that you have to do do you find that isolating how do you navigate around that and feel more connected yeah my interesting the interesting story with that um when I first hit the business way back in the day and I lived in a different property and I, you know, I didn't have a full-time business at all. I was doing, as I said, a bit of city sightseeing, tour guiding, um, a bit of Airbnb. So I kind of had a little bit of company, for, for, you know, doing those other income things. But I did find office days, which were sitting at my, my table, um, my dining table in my apartment. I did find them isolating and I also wasn't overly productive. So when I went full time and I stopped being a city sightseeing tour guide and I stopped at different uh, times, uh, be doing Airbnb and the business, the away we walk business was strong enough to, to, to pay me my full time livelihood. At that stage, I actually went, I hot desked, um, it was actually a, a relative of mine who had a, a marketing firm or PR firm in central Belfast. And he despaired us. I think it came about as a coincidence. Like I met him for coffee and he was talking about, you know, the lovely, they'd just done a refurb on the office and he was telling me all about it. And I think it just came to me. I was like, do you have a spare desk? And then literally after coffee, I went and that was saved me. So that was two years of having colleagues because there was people in the room, but they weren't my colleagues. It was all the stuff that's horrible about <laughs> the company. You know what I mean? All the office. <laughs> I didn't exist. I, I wasn't a colleague, colleague. But I, it was all the crack of just uh, having some company. So that extraordinarily really that, you know, it was a lifesaver really for that element and um, being able to do that. But then they relocated um, to different offices. They moved out of the city centre. And I ended up in an office in my, on my own in a building that was originally built as a house. And, and you know, I was doing that for a couple of months and I kind of went, why am I sitting in a room in a, in a building when I have plenty of rooms in my own house that I, you know, so the whole purpose of having colleagues had, had disappeared. So I thought, and I was afraid at the times because uh, uh, it was the beginning of the winter and I stopped, um, I think December. I thought, I'm going to try working from home again. Now at this stage, the business was full time, but I was seasonal. I was in tourism. Now there's a year's worth of administrative work to do, but it's very different when you're not out doing tours all the time and it's the winter. And I live in a lovely flat now. I look over a green space in North Belfast. I look over a golf course. And I said to myself, so at the beginning of December, I says, I'll, I'll try this to Valentine's Day. And if I've cabin fever, I can go on hot desk. And here I am, X number of years. And the only thing that's different there for me is uh, the nature of my job. By the time I've got enough cabin fever in the winter, I'm starting to be out and about and seeing people. Yeah, so and you've always got that to look forward to. You know, you know when it's going to start. And that, and that saves me. And now what saved me this winter, because this winter was really hard, because this winter was just really hard. Did anybody have a good winter? Um, for hundreds of reasons. Um, it was brutal. And I was doing a course, one of the COVID supports for businesses. I was doing a digital marketing module and um, got an email through from the college to say our full-time students need a work placement. And I'd never looked at work placements before. And I thought, oh, I could be a student. Um, and, you know, it was, the, you know, the great thing for so many businesses, 
this has been an opportunity to reboot, to do things you would never have time to do, etc. And so I then had a student and she was happy to come here and work in my home office. Um, and we've been out in the hills. And so that's really helped with the isolation as we've come out of COVID. Will I always be home based? I don't know. I do, like I met you years ago, you know, at um, the one-off days, uh, you know, we would meet with fellow solopreneurs. Yeah, the co-working days. It is crucial. I think you've got to, you if you're home-based, you've got to find a way where you're networking or you're, you know, you're somehow connecting with, with other people. The nature of my job, because I customer face for six months of the year, and then I'm kind of office-based for six months of the year. That really serves me. I don't think I could be office-based full-time year-round. Mm. I, I, I don't think I could. Mm. But that's No, just... no, well, you give me that impression. You're absolutely passionate about, about being outdoors. Yeah. And that's... I'd be the same. I'd be yeah. exactly the same. So what is being productive to you? Is it ticking things off a list? Is it walking up hills? Is it a mix of lots of different things? I love that question because it's like you know it means so many different things to different people we're culturally trained you know I'm I I'm a my dad hated this when I worked with him you know I'm a post-it note person I still have a file of facts um I've got a fantastic thing called a rocket book don't know if you've heard of a rocket no book. what's one of those advertisement a rocket book is I I need to write I need to um lists and all sort of stuff but a rocket book this is this it's it's either you can view it as a very cheap uh, iPad, um, so it looks like a jotter, but it comes with a special pen and a cloth. And rather than you throwing the jotter out, you just wipe the pages clean when you're done with them. Oh wow! You can also digitally; it has a little scan. You can save your notes up onto, you know, the cloud, and you can send them to different places. So it's changed my life. That's amazing. Months ago, again, one of my tour operator friends on the ground. I was just like, ah, it's fantastic. I want to get that. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely a hard copy person. I have whiteboards. So I do, I, I definitely write short term to do lists. I'm crystal clear where I want to go with the business in the future. But the day to day, what is productive? Um, such a good question there has to be getting out into the landscapes. If that isn't happening, none of the rest of it will and none of the rest of it will happen with any fire. I'm probably not as goal focused as some. I'd maybe like to be a little bit more, you know, strategic on, you know, quarter one, quarter two, what are our goals if we achieve them? A bit more targeted. I think all that comes with the age and stage of your business as well. Though. Yeah. Well, you seem pretty focused to me. You seem to know where you're going and what you love doing. That's, in the early years, my customers were the bigger, biggest drivers of my business. Uh, you know, like, can you do this? I'm just like, yeah. And it's dangerous in the early years because I ended up spreading myself too thin. Is it Steve Jobs, you know, he wasn't a big fan of market research. He said, you know, if you would ask, if you'd ask people in terms of transport, the late 1800s, what would they like for improved transport? They would have asked for faster horses. Nobody's going to ask for a car. And... And I think there's a lot to be said. Actually, interestingly, you'll need to come back now to do an update. I've never had domestic products, but because of this summer, I'm going to try something that will attract local, maybe women, not necessarily a gender-specific tour, but people who would like to walk in the mountains who wouldn't dream of walking in the mountains. Mm. Um, And I have asked my Instagram followers for the name of that product. And um, the one the poll has come up with 
I'm not overly fussed on it. And I'm like, well, do I go with what they think it should be called? <laughs> They're my followers. Or do I go with something I'm passionate about? Same with the price. Ask them the price. Slightly less than what I would charge. And I'm like, do I go with my gut? I've, you know, eight years, but I've eight years within the international market. I have no real experience on what's the price for this. And I'm like, well, do I risk it? What have I got to lose? Let's, let's risk this product. My customers have named it. My customers have priced it. So that's, uh, yeah, in terms of... <laughs> Uh, am I crystal clear? Yes. If you ask me where I want to see the business five years, 10 years, 15 years, I can give you an answer. And um, I think your why, especially when, you know, you've designed a business for yourself, never, ever lose sight of why you did that. And it can happen with solopreneurs because you're sent in so many directions. The end up you're running a business that isn't the one you want. And you but you can always pull back. And I, I did get to do that. And I, it's hard in the early years as well, you you know, where every bit of business, it's very hard to turn business down. So you yes, can end up saying yes to stuff. It isn't technically what you do. And I think I would have been in the early years giving a mixed message to the marketplace of what it is I do. And I was heading toward a much more, you know, boots on or I'm not doing it. If you don't have hiking boots on, it doesn't involve me, it doesn't involve the way we walk. Um, and as we come out of COVID, I am more confident than ever of holding on to my niche. Phone call yesterday from a production company about some kind of TV thing, but it wasn't a way we walk. It was in tourism and they were really just wanting a customer facing type tour guide type person. And it looked like a fantastic opportunity being on TV, but it wasn't Emer Flanagan a way we walk being on TV. And I just knew, my God, incredible. In early years, on a mission, I would have turned something like that down. I was like, I don't think it's the right fit. Um, I, I, I really do think, you know, as a business owner, and it is, it is that gut instinct. You've got to go with your gut. Absolutely. Here's my next question. So we've got grit is passion and perseverance. And that really does keep you in the game. If you could take the business anywhere without any limits, what would you explore next? So... Which is tremendous. I, it's like you say I am clear and I'm probably clearer on the long term than I am in the short term because I suppose, and that's true of anybody in tourism at the moment, nobody knows how coming out of COVID is going to look. Nobody knows when, you know, Heathrow Airport is going to be back at 2019 capacity. So it's a little uncertain at the moment, but assuming life comes back to normal, I have a number of um, products. So what I'm famous for at the, the product that most people will know where we walk for is a guided bookable daily hike, certainly through the summer at the Giants Causeway. But that model of bookable daily offered like a tour, the way the bus tours are, uh, can be replicated. Um, the Morns um, and maybe other destinations. So over a period of time, I'd like to replicate what I've got going on with the causeway with other what I call destination hikes. It's the walk worth flying in from New York City on its own for, you know, is it spectacular? And if it is, can it be built into a, a regular tour? Um, now that relies on me having reliable guides. And, you know, I was able to do that. No problem with the Giants Causeway. So that, that bit is a kind of long-term plan, pulling, pulling all that on board. One thing I'd love to do, and I was pr- probably at the very back of the back burner, I have a tremendous clientele now from around the world, and I've always wanted to travel in the winter, um, like so many people from this part of the world who lived away and came home. And there's part of that's a challenge, um, being back in Ireland. 
long term and forever and with our weather and stuff. And I thought, well, I've all, I do have a job that lends itself to me taking two to three months away. And if anything, I, I hadn't in the early years, it was the finance. And then in the final years, I definitely could have gone live somewhere hot for this, the winter. And I just didn't make it happen. If I'd have known this was coming, <laughs> I, I'd have been in Chiang Mai in the winter of 2020. So, yes. I might have stayed there yeah. as well if I knew the degree to which we were going to lock down. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. But the determination for me to do that in the winter. But one thing that has come to mind is where I bring people here on walking holidays and bring people here to go walking is I'm such a big clientele globally of people who like to walk. And I can and could every winter create an international trip where I bring my clients on a walking holiday. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's on the radar. But no, I see myself retiring from this job when I retire. Um, I want to always be fit enough to be in the landscapes but not necessarily reliant on the business uh, for, for all my income. You know, yeah. I want to be walking in my 70s and 80s, but not necessarily having to. And that's great because I've always got bored. And um, once I master a job, I get bored and I want to do something else. And I think the nature of this job is that it will always, I'll always be able to reinvent it or take it in different directions um, that I won't necessarily need to leave <laughs> um, hiking in nature in a tourism space. Uh, to get my fix of right what's the next project I think uh-huh. it can offer me enough variety over fantastic years to come yeah. so Ema, where can people find out more about you so um daily on Instagram I know not everybody is on the gram but so for anyone in Instagram that's where I show up most frequently and that's um and particularly on stories um so that's just at a where we walk I also would have a presence on Facebook uh, I'm on a few other platforms, but not as active, and I don't intend to. I think that's a crucial thing for small businesses. Do two social media platforms well, rather than trying to do seven yeah. poorly and, and show up, show up every day. Um, see at least one of them as your shop. Let me reiterate that, and that will keep you commit, committed because you'll open your shop every day to sell the stuff in your shop. And then online, I am at a way, um, it's a way we walk.com. I might, you know, have a contact us page there with my email, with my phone number, and book tours on my website as well. So, um, and we'll put yeah. all of that information on the podcast as well when that's published. That's great. Yeah. Thank so, you. Ema, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I can't walk, went to walk up a mountain very soon with you. Oh, I will be, I will be at that Giants Causeway very soon. Fantastic. No, it's great. It's going to open. And, you know, we're, we're all really, really keen to explore more than our immediate areas and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Ema, wish you all the luck and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find more information in the show notes or on our website, thehubnuri.com. While you're there, why not join our mailing list so we can keep you in the know about everything we're up to. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. Powering Productivity is presented by me, Suzanne Murdoch. It's produced by Emily Crosby Media.